save the date. July 9th, we will be raising some money for abortion funds. Uh, details are forthcoming. Keep an eye on our social media feeds. Thank you. Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, the monthly show where we uh, answer your cues, discuss your topics, and read your responses. Yeah. And uh, at the end, announce. Well, no, that's not going to happen this time nope. because we've already announced August's games. So you fell right into my trap. I did, the, uh, didn't I? Yeah. I left that out just so you could. Trip and fall like a big clown. Yep. Let us all have a day at the circus. Uh, do, 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 do. And I can't emphasize enough do, do. Do, do. Nah. Uh, time for do, do. Uh, not time for do, do. Real mm-hmm. quick, before we go into it. Uh, so we're not announcing new things because we pre-announced due to the switcher swap uh that we did to give ourselves some more Final Fantasy twelve time. Uh, we talked about that already, but just FYI, in case anybody's wondering. Uh, the other thing is uh, we're going to start a new thing on Watch Out for Fireballs uh, that we're going to announce here. Uh, and we're going to take a, take a couple minutes to talk about it real quick. Um, shamelessly ripping off a creator uh, that that we like. Um, I don't We don't have a fun name for this, but uh, people who listen to this who uh, share our politics may uh, watch a YouTuber by the name of Thought Slime. Uh, they are uh, good. And mm-hmm. should they do a thing called the eyeball zone where they spotlight smaller leftist projects uh, through their thing. Um, Watch over fireball is not a leftist project, mm-hmm. but uh, we are two straight cis white dudes. Um, we got in at the right time. Like I, I think that we're good at what we do, mm-hmm. but it would be ridiculous to uh, claim that uh, the success that we found has nothing to do with our, our privilege or, uh, you know, just us winning that, that, that dice roll. Agreed. You know, just really lucking out, got an easy mode, yep. um, for life. Uh, so we're going to start, uh, at the end of watch out for fireballs episodes during our, uh, admin section, we're going to try to draw some attention to, uh, projects by, uh, people who are not cis white straight dudes. Um, so if you have such a project, and you're listening to this and you want uh, a quick shout out and would like, you know, some d- attention directed your way, uh, send me an email. Yeah. Gary at duckfeed.tv. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will screen you for fascism and make sure you're not trying to <laughs> you know, uh, get one over on us. Cause yeah. we're really, you know, <laughs> yep. and then, uh, then we'll give you, give you a shout out. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, my, my media consumption diet right now is very diseased it doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to check out everything personally mm-hmm. other than than just kind of checking it out but we do want to get uh spread some attention to people who uh are not on easy mode in yeah. life we've like got we are we, we we've got love and we want to spread it around so yeah 
you know, it's it's a kind of thing that uh, douchebags are going to say this is uh, guilt. It's not guilt to want to do something nice and recognize injustice in the world. Mm-hmm. There's a motivation for wanting to, you know, even scales for things that isn't guilt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more yeah. that uh, when when things uh, things are crappy, uh, I notice it. Nothing yeah. to do with guilt, but yeah. I do want to fight it. I'm a warrior for for justice. <laughs> You know, people will say this is virtue signaling, to which I would say that is not an operative term. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so in response to that, I would say, no, no, we genuinely want to give a little bit of our time uh, in order to in order to spread the word, you know, for folks who are in a different position. And uh, that is something that we value. We are, you know, we have values. So, yeah, we, yeah. we have a platform and we have values. And it's yeah. up to us how to use it. If it bothers you, you can uh, sit on attack. Yeah. Oh, or, you um, know, less aggressively, if it bothers you, there's a skip button. You can yeah, you can s- jump forward. Sit on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, yeah. It's, a, it's at the end. It's during the admin stuff, kind of regardless. We yeah. can see a portion of that. Yes. To people, I think. Uh, so, again, uh, just email me, Gary at duckfeed.tv. And we will uh, start including those next week. I mm. uh, don't know. It doesn't have a fun name yet. No theme song or anything like that. We'll, we'll figure <laughs> something out. But we will. Uh, that's something we want to do because we want to. Uh, we're very lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're exceedingly lucky. Like it, it's a, this is a dream job. Mm-hmm. We found a lot of success. Uh, I do think that we're good at what we do, but I'm not so naive to think that, you know, every single bit of good fortune we've had is due to our massive talent. I think that. Uh, it is only right and good to give something back. Meritocracy is a joke. Um, yes. Yes. So, and also we only grow with by word of mouth. We want to uh, pass that along. We want to balance the scales. Yeah, that's exactly it too. We're, you know, a lot of people ask us, they're like, oh, I'm starting a project. How do I get people to to listen to it? And I, I don't have the answer of like, travel back in time 10 years and do the same thing every week yep. for a decade, mm-hmm. uh, which is the actual answer. That's not a, the useful answer. Mm-hmm. But if there's a way that we can help, like we want to be of service. Yes. It is a, a core value. Uh, get into it. Uh, into I'll start it. us off here with a Hunter Johns question here. Uh, what do y'all think about nerd universes, i.e. Warhammer, Star Trek, Star Wars, Forgotten Realms, as a transmedia property in video game space? Which ones do you like the most? Which ones are generally shit? And which ones would you like to get more into? Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm for it insofar as I'm not against it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they're like of the ones that you list as examples, Hunter, Forgotten Realms, I think, is the one that I have the most genuine affection for. You know, mm-hmm. just having read a lot of the books and played a fair number of the games, I think Forgotten Realm stuff is real cool. Um, and as far as the others go, you know, I've not really played a Star Trek game outside of the SNES one we did. Star Wars games can be a mixed bag, but there are real high cards there. The ones that I want to get into there, like of the of the ones listed, Warhammer always seems real neat, but it's daunting. Yeah. 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 And the, the, I'm sure there are a lot of these other universes. I'm just not thinking of them. Um, I still haven't played a Star Trek game that captures what I really like about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. The the old ones are the closest. The the one we did for, for Abject Suffering and stuff, that's the closest because it's so stilted and weird. <laughs> and there are Star Wars games I like, but the Star Wars-ness is incidental Yeah, uh, for me. Um, so it's kind of tricky. Uh, Forgotten Realms games I really, really like, but I just think of them as D&D games that's the thing like it, you know it's the, such the default 
setting, <laughs> you know, for D and D, like there's not so much forgotten realms. This, yeah, I mean, uh, outside of pulling in specific forgotten realms characters or you know cities and yeah. stuff like that. That said, you Volo know, shows up. Yeah, Vol- Volo shows up. You get a Drist cameo, of of course, obviously. That said, like default D and Ness, you know. The Eberron was a default D&D campaign for a few years, too. And if somebody tried to put it an Eberron game in front of me, I would say, no, thank you. <laughs> Send it back. <laughs> uh, in general, I guess that would be the thing I, I want more of is more of those specific. Uh, I would like D&D games that take, you know, different uh, cues rather than Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Like we have Torment. We have a couple Ravenloft games. I would like to see uh, a, like a great game in the Ravenloft setting ravenloft immersive uh, think, sim please oh that'd be incredible you know mm-hmm. or even just a Baldur's gate alike yeah you know uh, i think that'd be really cool yeah um let's see here jc and adrian write the mellotron is my favorite instrument but it doesn't show up on many of any video game soundtracks do either of you have a musical instrument you'd like to see used more often in video games i would really like non-douchey electric guitar <laughs> yeah uh, i i don't want it to sound like uh you know dated rock and roll like you know hard rock right. which I, I think happens a lot with electric guitar like maybe clean electric guitar would be my my answer for this a standout soundtrack for clean electric guitar is disco elysium um additionally like the guitar you know the guitar focused tracks on the silent hill soundtracks are always real good because they sound more poppy than rocky some of those i think sound are i i don't like Mm. some of those the main silent hill 2 one like i I have a lot of nostalgia for it but i think that's douchey (laughs) but yeah i think that has that that rocky douche uh, (laughs) element yeah that one that's a that's a low card in that deck especially the section that sounds like a uh james bond theme song uh section you know (laughs) The uh, name is Sunderland, <laughs> James Sunderland. Uh, yeah, that, that's uh, I want less of that and more clean, uh, more bands doing scores like Disco Elysium in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really cool. Like some of those are songs that would have vocals ordinarily, and they're just like really nice instrumental arrangements. Yeah. You know, of pop songs. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, an instrument that I like uh, that is weirdly a uh, a mainstay of horror movies, but hasn't popped up in a lot of um, horror video game soundtracks. Uh, it's called the Waterphone. Hmm. Are you aware of a Waterphone, Gary? I'm familiar with uh, a glass harmonica, which is a water instrument. No. Um, tell me, tell me more about the Waterphone. The Waterphone is an instrument. I'll send you a photo of it. It's an instrument that looks kind of like a, a birdcage with a bottom, but no top. I know what this thing is. Yeah, and you yes. play it with a bow. You play it with no. a bow, or you uh, you can hit it with a mallet, uh, different things. A band that I love, uh, Shearwater, uses it quite a bit uh, for atmospheric kind of effects. But like um, in sound in, in horror movie soundtracks where you hear things that sound like the stereotypical, like like a like a spider's kind of walking around kind of kind of uh, kind of thing. Yeah, if that spider's is, about yeah that if, wave. If, if yeah, if uh, that is not a like a pizzicato violin that they are doing. You know, like just a picked violin. Uh, oftentimes, it'll be a plucked water phone. Look, uh, look up videos of this. It's a, it's a really neat instrument. Yeah, uh, and glass harmonica would be cool as well. Oh yeah, sounds all ghostly. 
yeah, super ghostly. And <laughs> they're, they're super fragile and there's, you know, hard to maintain. And uh, <laughs> watching videos of how to play one of those is really crazy because it, it has the same layout as a keyboard. Mm-hmm. But it ain't a keyboard. Invented by noted syphilitic Benjamin Franklin. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the uh, but I don't. Hi, my name is Gordon. Um, yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. Good. Good answer on those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassandra says, "Hey guys. So I recently started playing Resident Evil HD Remake after playing Two Make and Three Make, and something stuck with me. Well, I think the uh, RE Make is a fantastic game. No notes. Big Chef kiss motions uh, made to the team, etc. I can't help but think." What would a big modern remake in the modern Capcom engine look like? Moreover, would it be uh, wanted by the general public considering how good Capcom uh, made the HD remake? Personally, it'd be, I'd be really interested in seeing what a modern remake of Resident Evil 1 would look like. And I also know that it would be a foundational sin to some of the fan base. Take care. So I think that we're at the point where we could get a real-time rendering of those spaces that would look really good, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, taking it out of the third-person tank control um, fixed camera angle, I think, would require some necessary uh, adjustments to the spaces that would eliminate some of the things that like make the Spencer Mansion, to me, really cool. The crampedness and kind of like coiledness of that space, even more so than the Raccoon City Police Department, which is designed like a municipal building, the Spencer Mansion itself being so important there— I wouldn't want the compromises that would come from making it the two make and three make over the shoulder style. Mm. I, uh, this is the, something that I think if you had asked me five years ago, um, I would have felt that way. And this is not me trying to make a, a flex. Mm-hmm. I, I've gotten to the point now and, and thinking seeing screenshots of the resident evil four remake is, it was a real tipping point of this for me. Yeah. Uh, and then the discourse around the demon souls remake, um, I kind of no longer really buy subtraction by addition mm-hmm. with this this kind of thing. Like I am much more in the these are holy spaces and I want to see them from every angle possible. Yep. Uh camp. So my my feeling is go for it. Yeah. Like they, they would have to do a lot of adjustments, but I want to see this space that is really, really important to me. I want to explore in a new way and see it from new angles. Yeah, um, it doesn't it doesn't take anything away for me to have this version of it that would be worse in some ways and cooler in other ways. Like, I'll just take it all. I'm a I'm now a glutton <laughs> for for these kind of spaces. You, you, um, you know what the actual solution is? Do an RE7 style first person. Um, and sure. It, yeah. Um, but also the actual answer is I'm not I would not be offended if they did a two make two to make three make style thing in re1 i'm more speaking more to what i feel is like most likely um and i am more than happy to be proven wrong on it so there there would be things we would lose but we would make gains as well yeah and and it's just a uh with emulation and everything like i don't even have to drag out my gamecube Mm -hmm. to play or there's just ports of it i don't have to do anything to play the original version of it and as somebody who likes old tank controls and fixed camera stuff Mm -hmm. that will always be there for me yeah you know, uh, it's a weird, weird thing where I've, I've now I some somewhere along the way line uh, a switch flipped mm-hmm. and like I would not give up the stuff that's after the peak of things anymore. Wait a, wait a minute. You don't hold fast to, you know, quickly made decisions that you had 10 years ago. I <laughs> the, I just I guess I in some ways getting older sometimes is a is a process of chilling out. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 more angry about 
I try to try to reserve my anger, I guess. <laughs> and, and there's no judgment for people who get mad at other stuff about that. But I just like, you know, for me, like the Demon's Souls, we talked about it when the Demon Souls remake came out. I really like that remake. Mm-hmm. I like the original version as well. But like, to me, there is value in being able to see what the Dirty Colossus is. Yes. You lose something in that visual fidelity, you know, that lack of visual fidelity that adds this atmosphere. But also now I can see what kind of monster that is. And that's yeah. cool too. And I like Nothing that. was taken from me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just added. Yeah. You know, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Content biggie. That's me now for things that I liked as a uh, 20-year-old. Yes. Oh, um... <laughs> <laughs> Bo says, um, I play along with every game that the two of you cover on WAF. And while I typically have a strong opinion that I want to share about my experience with each title, I find it difficult to express how I feel about my particular game, about any particular game uh, or any piece of art in short, succinct responses. Most of the games convert cut most of the game's coverage, criticism and reaction that I encounter uh, seems to start and end with totalizing epithets on either the game's quality as a product or with judgments on a hyper literal narrative read, something which I try to avoid in my own evaluations uh, and which I think you two do excellently in your coverage. My question is, what are some of the sites slash writers slash slash publications uh, that you two have found to be worthwhile in how they discuss games and how do you conceive of your own critical method in your chosen format? Good, good question. Yeah. Um, I have fewer answers for this than I would have five years ago because big shakeups at sites have made it so people that I otherwise would have followed previously are not are either not writing about games anymore or are at different places where I don't want to go for some that, reason that's or true. another. Yeah, that that is true of me too. And then there's also an element of shame, like in in my feeling around that, like I'm not keeping up. Yeah. With uh, with something I should be keeping up with, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that is that is true. In general, the answers are all things that uh, will be relatively obvious. I feel like. Yeah. Uh, you know, my 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 favorite video games critic is Noah Caldwell Gervais. Uh, on YouTube, I think that his approach is the thing I most closely want to emulate, which is uh, both. I, I was introduced to like a, a dichotomy uh, reading an Austin Walker essay about Dragon's Dogma 2, mm-hmm. where he talked about how he didn't like the essay he was heading towards because it was comprehensive instead of holistic. Yeah, uh, I really like that that separation. And Austin's great. Like I like Austin, you know, another mm-hmm. good example, like Austin is a great writer. Mm-hmm. Um I tend to like things that I feel kind of do both. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's what Noah does to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's on, you know, I'm, it's hard for us to, to divorce ourselves from everything that's on the plate has to be judged. Yeah. Um, you know, I like the way that he approaches that yes. in terms of uh, judging things. So that's my favorite, but that's not going to surprise anybody. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, most of my attention on game stuff just goes to like following individual people on Twitter, seeing what they recommend. Uh, because I, you know, like, I don't know, it, like that, that to me, the, the, yes, that is a hot take machine, but also it is more about surfacing a link to something that somebody thinks is cool um, mm-hmm. and being as succinct as possible in describing why this thing matters to them, you know, so like uh, Nick Sutner, uh, you know, former one up guy um, you, you now I think works for Sony or something like that uh, does a really good job 
um, at uh, surfacing really cool stuff. And I've gotten some good recommendations from him in the past. Um, uh, that's just one that kind of comes to mind in addition to some of the obvious folks, um, you know, Austin, uh, Danielle Riendo, people like that. It's interesting too, how different people, like I will go to different people for different things, you know, like Noah's my number one answer because I feel like he does everything I want, Yeah, but I will go to, I like reading Austin Walker's writing because I like the kind of, uh, soul that's brought to it sometimes mm-hmm. like it it can border sometimes on what i if i were coming out of me i would consider overreading, mm-hmm. but i like to read it and then i like reading like jerry like i love nes works and and jeremy Parrish's yeah. stuff yeah. from a historical perspective mm-hmm. like it's impeccably researched and takes a wider lens yeah on stuff those are more specific scratches that are being itched mm-hmm. as opposed to something that is my own like approach yeah i guess no. Uh, and the, it's just, just because I didn't answer this part of the question, like, how do I conceive of my own critical method? Uh, like, I don't know. I, I think I'm leaning a little bit more toward like comprehensive just because I put the outline together and try to keep all that there. But like, I really tried to keep my mind on, you know, it's a word that I've overused for the past several years, but integration, try and find mm-hmm. places where um, elements of a game harmonize. Uh, or yeah. where they don't work, you know, different systems playing with each other, systems playing with presentation, et cetera. That's kind of the thing that I value the most and what I want to, uh, what I want to highlight. Yeah. The, 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 to me, the most impressive thing a video game can ever do is, uh, highlight a narrative or thematic thing purely through play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am always on the lookout for that. Yes. Uh, if the play, if the part of it that is necessarily a game, um, <laughs> you know, contributes to, to that central thrust. Yeah. I think that is, that is the magic of video games. Um, that's video games, games, baby. <laughs> that's video games, baby. They're back. Oh, uh, they don't always do that, right. but it's cool when they do. Yeah. Uh, Audie asks if you could pitch one Hitman level, what would it be? Hands down. State fair. Ooh, that is a great answer. <laughs> I was going to say haunted house, but Ooh. yours could conclude that it could. Like, can you imagine, uh, you know, you go into the haunted house and you uh, have to dress up as one of the animatronics as a storyline kill? Yeah. Oh, gosh. And nobody notices the kill because they think it's just another dead body, like in the zombie You string up the body Uh like on a noose. (laughs) But there's no reason why that haunted house couldn't be in a state fair. Mm Mm-hmm. It could just be one of the one of the many attractions, like rile up the animals and make it look like a pen wall failed. You know? Yes. Yeah. 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 It, It basically writes itself. And it would be a great uh, 20th century thing. So my, I think I had a previous dispatch. I talked about Hitman invades other video games <laughs> as a great, uh, great idea. Uh-huh. Also time Hitman. Mm. Like that's a really good idea. Like a medieval castle, you know, yeah. in, in, uh, in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Hit, Hitman shouldn't go away. I can't believe that they're moving over to James Bond Yeah, as more of a Jack Reacher head. I uh, I don't really care for that bond. You know, he's, I'd start rewatching on cinema because all I do is rewatch stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. But I don't actually care about Jack Reacher. God, I love that. I just, I, I love that fucking feud. It's a rewatching it. Something that is popping up in my head is, uh, you know, obviously that is about the degradation of, of the Tim Heidecker character. Of course. Uh, 
I know this is, I'm not the first person to come up with this. This is just the first time it's really landed for me. Greg is absolutely the fucking villain in that show. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. Tim, Tim starts pretty reasonable uh-huh. and you get to watch him like what exposure to a guy like Greg does. <laughs> somebody, he's so like, he, he does a thing that we run into all the time that like is a pet peeve of mine on, online where somebody is constantly correcting you. Uh huh. Like, and it just, it's incredible stuff. Yeah. No, like, it's, it's, Greg's got to go. I, I previously <laughs> was like a real Greg head and I was like, no, 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 he did it. <laughs> like he's the villain. And he did it and he doesn't even realize it. He doesn't know. He, he doesn't know how radioactive he is. It's great. Nope. Yeah. He's, he's a walking disaster. Like plants just rot when he walks into the room. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. No, just, uh, that, that uh, I had a similar arc where it's like, you just, uh, you know, it's a, uh, the, 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 the fool says it's almost like a bell, like a, like a bell, I don't know, not, not a bell graph. Yeah. But just anybody who spends more time with it, I feel would necessarily need to come to the same conclusion. Yes. <laughs> uh, Shall we move on to uh, other types of questions? Yes, we're, we shall. The Q and a portion we're keeping a little bit short uh, today because we have a lot of game responses. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who are patrons, we're doing those roundups. We're recording another one. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they'll be, uh, you know, do not feel bad if your questions aren't getting answered. They will be answered soon. Yeah. Francis writes, uh, and this is a live question. Uh, now that you're full-time podcasters, do you find it harder to make sure you're getting out and about in the world enough to refresh new life experiences um, and find things to talk about compared to when you both were working as standard jobs? Uh, I feel self-conscious about this a lot of the time mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like the story tank it's really dry, but it has little to do with uh, being a full-time podcaster and more to do with COVID yes. stuff, like being locked down. Uh, I've recently been, you know, poking out into the world and doing outdoor events and stuff, mm-hmm. some indoor events and everything. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that tank is slowly getting refilled, but I was feeling that way for a while as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, a very common being cool thing when we're talking, when we're not on mic is like, Hey, I got something for next time we do abject suffering and it runs dry. Yeah. Like something worth talking about happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the kind of confluence of COVID restrictions lightening a little bit and then uh, having a real fun girlfriend who likes doing stuff mm-hmm. has re-upped that yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, in general, like this is, uh, it is not even worth being upset that this is how things are for me because it's just who I am. Um, but I, in general, just kind of don't get out and do an awful lot of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I, I am a homebody, uh, things like that. That said, uh, this got better for me after I, uh, after I stopped working, uh, because I worked a lot. Uh, I have no idea how I did this and my, um, uh, full-time marketing job that I had. Uh, I mm-hmm. think, I think back to that, um, you know, eight years ago, like just wild, wild. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's gotten a little bit better just because I have more time and more opportunities, opportunities that I often say, no, I'd rather not <laughs> <laughs> opportunities that I, big, no, thank you. That's none of my business. <laughs> Think about an opportunity yeah. is, uh, you can decide not to take it. <laughs> yeah. It still has value. Even if you don't do it. Yeah. You know, having a choice and not, you know, it's still a choice if you choose not to do something. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't be upset with myself that I'm not a different person. You know, no, that's a wasted energy yep. as much as people might ask you to be upset about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, it is a silly thing to ask. <laughs> um, oh. uh, Luke says, uh, this is a media question or a media question. 
A bit random, but I've heard you guys mention TV tropes numerous times throughout WAF and Bonfireside Chat, and I feel like there's some sort of context I missed. I have some familiarity with TV tropes as a sort of wiki for literary tropes in various media, but your attitude towards TV tropes seems to be one of mild derision. Not outright contempt or anything like that. After all, you both seem to have spent a lot of time on there. Uh, but it appeared as a butt of a joke often enough that it just seems there's something I'm missing. Maybe I'm just not in the right circles to know what the general sentiment about TV tropes is, but at any rate, I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate on your view on TV tropes so I'll be in on the jokes in the future. Also, I should note that I'm not a huge TV tropes defender or anything, so you're not going to hurt my feelings. Just literally feel like I'm missing some context. TV Thanks. tropes used to be a lot more ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it, I don't... I even, haven't charted how it changed i don't know if like my browsing habits of it have just changed they've gotten rid of whole sections that used to be fucking wild um (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean they used to have fetish fuel tags at the top of every page oh yeah yeah Yeah. i remember that yeah okay no you're right this troper pages there's been an awful lot of cleanup to kind of keep things a little bit more on topic with it um mm-hmm. that's it i definitely spend a lot of time reading it because it's one of the only places you can go to like find specific citations about very granular things that happen in games for characters you know or just yeah. uh with, with, with story beats and stuff like that i care less about the um about the categorization than i think a lot of people do uh there was just a really weird and extremely dorky culture that i think advanced kind of a cinema sins-esque um uh kind of let's say deleterious way of looking at media that has calmed down quite a bit i don't know if it's just long timers um you know the people who stuck it out ended up being a little bit more serious about a version of the mission that i enjoyed uh now now, when I make fun of it, it's more just because sometimes the names of particular tropes that they that they have are kind of goofy. Um, and, of course, there's wild mass, ga- wild mass guessing uh, and some of like the nightmare fuel stuff is that that is a bit more subjective ends up being just kind of come on, guys. Yeah, I, I was going to mention the nightmare fuel thing, like the wild mass guessing at this point seems like it's people in on a joke that I'm not in on. Yeah, like, nobody could seriously believe any of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um the it used to be definitely a thing I had more contempt and thank you for reminding me of the the fetish fuel <laughs> shit because that, that used to be kind of on front street. Uh, the nightmare fuel thing, the reason why uh, it's still kind of a butt of a joke for me, even though I do engage in it and generally think it's good. Mm-hmm. It's a, a wiki project, so it's a you know functionally infinite voices. Yes, an individual voice on it can be good, and then another individual voice can be uh real dorky mm-hmm. and then that's all part of the same thing yeah you know so uh for me when i want to make fun of it it's when it crosses over my personal threshold for like painful sincerity <laughs> um somebody on the slack referred to the the you know tv tropes as fainting goats um and it's the nightmare fuel thing is by recently the thing that has always bothered me the most is because it'll show up in like teletubbies and then somebody will write something really obvious like they don't have parents really fucked up when you think about it pure nightmare <laughs> fuel and it, it just uh i don't know if that person's being genuine mm-hmm. when when they say that but i don't really care it's just that they presented an attitude that i think is you know yeah worthy of fun like i, I think that that's a funny thing to think <laughs> it's silly yeah um you know we we used to be way bigger pricks about it uh though when it was worse yeah uh you know not to not to let ourselves off the hook or flagellate us too much but like it used to be a pet whipping boy when it was worse and that was on it but it was also on us for not mm-hmm. for focusing our attention in a stupid way yes yeah 
Um, that said, like it is still a resource that I use a lot. I will read it sometimes for fun, just to remind myself of the details of something, uh, when I don't have the time or energy to replay it. Um, and it can even be a useful research tool, uh, at times because, uh, it's a way to, you know, if a game has multiple paths, um, it's a way to kind of look at particulars, uh, kind of get, uh, synopses of the ways things could go for different characters, different story elements, stuff like that. Yeah. Great browse and great, uh, sleep aid. Yes. And I say that in the best possible way. Oh, yeah. Like that sounds like an insult, you know, imitate Daravon skill <laughs> from Final Fantasy Tactics. But really, it is a, a great thing to read before you go to sleep mm-hmm. uh, for me. Yeah. Um, KL writes, the lead singer of a band that I love died last year, which spelled the end for that act. It struck me just the other day uh, that their work is complete for want of a better way to describe it. While Duckfeed is historically pro death. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, while Duckfeed is historically pro-death, uh, are there particular pieces of art that you would feel are better, worse, or just dramatically changed for having a, def- a definite end? Uh, I'm going to snipe Gary and bring up Bowie's discography. Blackstar did a lot to, re- re- to redefine his work for me on top of being a hell of an album to go out on. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like There are things uh, we, we talk about. Uh, whether endings of things matter mm-hmm. uh, and that that kind of comes up in their arguments for and and against i think um with something like uh specifically like black star or i think about um the deadwood movie mm-hmm. which uh you know that series was famously cut off before its planned ending and uh then came back and did a movie that i think absolutely fucking nailed it mm-hmm. um as the end the feeling i get uh doesn't necessarily recontextualize the entire work because the the stuff before that like if if David Bowie had gone out on hours or gone out on a worse album, that doesn't erase Ziggy Stardust. Like it, right. you know, go back to the the Resident Evil remake question earlier. But it make it gives me like a feeling of kind of like proud, like pride of mm-hmm. my of my boy. Yeah, you know, like good for him. Like what a way to go out. Like that just it it gives me a very good feeling, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't recontextualize an entire work. Yeah, uh, for me, I do think that like the best works do have endings. Uh, in a, in a general sense, like I, I think about this a lot with comics, um, you know, as a big comics guy, like it's not, and that's why you have to re, you know, kind of reframe your thinking. Like the X-Men isn't a story, right? You know, it's a setting basically mm-hmm. to tell stories in. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't need Spider-Man to have a story that mm-hmm. ends. Spider-Man is a setting and this is what happened to Spider-Man in this individual story that does have an ending. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, I think that you pretty much summed up my thoughts, you know, that said, I get more enthusiastic about something big if I know that it ends, you know, like it feels a little Mm -hmm. bit more like it's going to be worthwhile. Um, see recently, uh, some of the uncertainty and then a little bit of the resolution that was brought with the death of Kentaro Miura, um, and -hmm. Berserk, the fact that he has trusted assistants who know what he intended, uh, and had been working with him and helping him anyway, uh, kind of guiding it toward uh, a particular kind of end makes me more enthusiastic about continuing and finishing it uh, beyond, um, you know, kind of where we left it off when I, uh, when, you know, when we did it for a bonfire side chat. Right. Same. Yeah. It's, it's hard to want to take the step into something that will not end. Yes. You know, like I, I'm kind of a defender of uh, the HBO series Carnival, mm-hmm. which just has two seasons and definitely doesn't have a neat ending. Um, I think that's still worth watching, but I don't know if I'd start it now. Right. Knowing that it's just going to cut off. Right. You know? Yeah. So, 
James asks, uh, this is a tabletop question. Hey, Gary and Cole, sending good vibes and gratitude for all your hard work from West London. My question, I've heard you guys talk about tabletop games on your shows, mainly RPGs, but are there any board games you particularly love or play often? I found board games to be a real lifeline through the last couple of years. From online Catan during the darkest days of lockdown to games of Dune in our garden when outdoor meeting was allowed here in the UK, and now to big time events like Twilight Imperium, now that meeting indoors is permitted. Aside from the obvious social aspect, the aesthetics and tact, uh, tactility of board games really appeals to me, as does the fact that many uh, games offer narratives and world building, but without the prep that's required for RPGs. Love you and your cats, or love to you and your cats. Mm. Uh, yes. The end. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love board games. I have a bunch of them. Uh, I buy them and check them out more than I play them, but the times in which I get to play them, uh, I really value. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big fan. Of, I only like really playing cooperative games. I don't really want to play a video or a board game or video game against mm-hmm. anybody yeah. anymore. Uh, that's a young man's game. Um, Big shout out. I love a, a game called Too Many, Don- Too Many Bones, mm. which is a dice builder tactics game with some of the worst aesthetics I've ever seen, but really, really fun. Um, and I have a big stack of games uh, once I own a bigger place to mm. check out. I've got the Resident Evil 2 like remake board game. Oh, nice. It has like a whole Mr. X stalking mechanic that looks really cool. Oh, huh. Um, yeah. I love, love a board game. Yeah. Oh, you were right about this aesthetic. Wow. Isn't it hideous? I would never have picked it up if uh, Levi didn't and we didn't play it. It's really mechanically rock solid. Uh huh. I just don't know why they chose to make that their art. It's yeah. so fucking hideous. Wow. No, that is uh, that is unpleasant to say the least. Yes. Huh. It, it becomes very wireframe <laughs> in, in the moment. Like, That's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, for a few years, uh, me and most of the level folks, uh, excluding Jala because of geography reasons, we would get together at Dennis's place in Cincinnati and play, um, you know, just around the holidays and play a, uh, a board game like we did the non-tactics XCOM game one year. That was pretty fun. For a few years, we did time stories, uh, which, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the module, was kind of neat. I think the one that comes with it, the Lovecraft one, was is absolutely the strongest um but uh it was just fun hanging out with the guys for me it's just a matter of i don't have you know see also why i don't do tabletop rpg stuff uh just because i don't have uh, like a curry to play it with it'd be cool but i don't so yeah 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 uh and if i had uh like the crew that the rpg crew i have are also great for board games we just don't get together all that often because we're all busy yeah so we get together once every other week for RPGs. Um, we used to do a monthly uh, board game brunch, mm-hmm. but that's kind of been on hiatus. Uh, it's just been, it's been hard. Yeah. Everyone's getting old. Yep. Um, let's move on to some show questions here. Uh, mm-hmm. Ross writes, any notable games you covered for WAF that secretly were a struggle to complete, either due to difficulty or just pure I can'tness? I don't think we keep that a secret. Nope. I, I, I keep it <laughs> we on. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. I keep it on front street quite a bit. Um, because yeah. that's a, that's a part of the, that the, yeah, it's a part of the experience. We're an experiential show. And if I, I would see no reason to hide it. If I had problems with it, because that colors, that colors the response. We, we came to that very early too. Like the, uh, I've talked about this before, but like episode 
three or four of ours. Like I don't like Mario RPG as much as I said I did in the episode. Yeah. Super Mario RPG. Mm-hmm. I think that game has a lot of problems, uh, but I didn't, I was finding my voice, mm-hmm. you know, at the time and finding comfort, uh, criticizing things that were very popular. Yes. Uh, it was, it was taking some time, but we got that, got there pretty quick mm-hmm. or I, you know, I feel like, so in general, I'm pretty open about yeah. uh, that struggle. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, it, 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 even if it doesn't come out on the show, like I'll say something on Twitter or on Twitter, uh, you, you know, like ahead of it right so like i'm having trouble with children of morta um a because of some things that are inherent to the choices they made that they made designing the game but also just i'm discovering that genre and i just don't mix especially when it comes to uh finishing on a deadline right yeah it's gonna be hard we we, we've we've had such a heavy roguelike year Mm -hmm. uh and i'm not willing to banish them from the show but i i even want a break yeah uh, from them like it's a weird thing where my play clock like i beat children of morta and my playtime was like 16 or 17 hours uh-huh. it wasn't that much in terms of total time but the uh it can feel like more sometimes in a run-based game yeah like that um yeah yep so it's not a secret i, I put it out yeah yep, yep. uh andy writes uh on a recent episode, you talked about fans sometimes being over, overly familiar. There was a time early on in my listening where I added one of you on Twitter and said something that in retrospect I regret, so I want to apologize for hiding a pointy emotional Lego in the carpet that day. On a less serious note, with the announcement of the new Willow television series, what is the possibility of getting a Burglecast uh, from Duckfeed? Of course, referencing Burglecut, the uh, the ogly arc that lives in Willow's village. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I'd say a hundred percent, uh, is <laughs> definitely on board. We talked about it before recording Yeah, and he's going to dedicate his life to Willow the same way that I have and the same way all of you will. I would say 0%. Nobody has seen that movie, including, um, Gary. They're not making mm-hmm. that television show. And all of this is just a massive prank. Yes. Uh, it's one or the other <laughs> or somewhere in between. Those are the three options. Uh, in terms of the emotional Lego, thank you for saying that. Uh, mm-hmm. don't beat yourself up too much about it. I guarantee it's not the worst thing we've heard. Also, we're too sensitive about that shit. Yep. So a little bit of that's on us. Yep. Yeah. And also I generally forget about those after like a week, unless it is especially funny or, you know, something that was like brand new (laughs) or especially mean. Oh yeah. Like, I, I've got, I go into Dracula mode and we'll measure out my vengeance and centuries for some things. <laughs> yep. Uh, like the <laughs> things I remember from like six years ago and nothing will happen. I'm just kind of like, yeah, that, that guy, you know, and I, I wish I could like literally forget about it. Just uh-huh. not the way my memory works. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there are two sides to the responsibility on those particular things. 100%. Yeah. We're way too sensitive about that shit. Like yeah. that is a, I'll, I'll cop. Yep. Um, Ryan says, I saw that the Portland, the Portland retro gaming expo was on again this year. Do either of you have plans to attend that or possibly even do a show or panel? Uh, good, good question. We should have, uh, we should make a, like a formal announcement about this. I think that we're, we're not doing that show this mm-hmm. year. We talked about it a little bit and, uh, kind of let it sit in the thought cabinet and time has passed by, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that was the deciding factor for me was when they did PAX and that uh, person died, mm-hmm. like the enforcer who was there died. And the thing about, uh, you know, we could potentially do a panel where we're not right next to people and tabling all day and just breathing everyone's breath. But uh, that's a really big investment for just, you know, 40 minutes of 
maybe being put in a conference room at 9 p.m. on Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fly out and get a hotel and everything for that. So I think yeah. that this year is also we're still waiting on COVID. Yeah. Uh, apologies to anybody who's disappointed by that. I, you better believe I'm disappointed by it. Yeah. In that, like, I really miss it. Me too. Uh, I just don't, I don't want to die and I don't want to get anybody sick. Yeah. It's, uh, uh you, you got family and shit, man. I, I got like, fi- what if I breathe on you and you, you go and say hi to your grandma and I kill your grandma on accident? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's not good. You know, for, for like that. And also like the calculus around, like, do we do a duck fest in person? It, it kind of ends up being like, do I want to ask other people to do something that I would not feel comfortable doing? Um, if a podcast that I really loved was having a big in-person event, you know, even if it was like relatively convenient to me, I would say, "Ah, no, I'd love to, but I can't, I I won't, I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, and so I would not want to ask somebody else to put themselves in danger if I wouldn't do that myself. Right. The other, yeah, yeah. 100%. You know, and the, the other thing with, with PRGE is that it's not for another four months. So we don't know what things will look like. Mm hmm then but the planning for it would need to happen now so we would have to commit to it and pay for it now and we could be like knee deep in the zeta variant (laughs) you know or some shit by then yeah Uh, i just don't trust predictability like the thing that uh the long tail of COVID has done is made it very hard to make long-term plans yes i was going to go visit uh jeremy this year and i canceled Mm -hmm. uh the thing and i was just out the money there's no way to, to to get out of it. I, I tried fighting it. Yep. I just ended up paying for this thing that I bought in advance because I thought it would be okay to make plans again, and it wasn't. Yeah. Um, it sucks. Yep. Uh, depending on where Portland's at with COVID, I may go to it for a day. Mm-hmm. Like, go wander around it uh, for a day. Right now, I'm only doing events, like, event stuff outdoors. Yes. Uh, I went to an arcade in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was not very busy, but it, like something that's a convention where it's a huge critical mass of people. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm outdoors only. Yeah. Look at some photos of PRGE. Like it, it you know, it probably wouldn't be this packed because other people, you know, things are changing. Um, so you, but, uh, I think that, but like I, people are really hungry to, to do this shit. We, me and, uh, my girlfriend got rejected from going to the Renaissance fair last weekend because they had a turnout that was like, five times what they estimated oh wow or something uh, like i walked by what was probably the longest line of people i've ever walked by huh and we were near the front and got rejected and then i just walked past a thousand people who couldn't get in yeah pent-up demand yeah yep now but just uh look at some photos uh that people you know post from prg like if you are picturing something small it it is not it is it is very crowded <laughs> yeah. on the sh- on the show floor uh you know especially at peak hours you know like from 10 a.m to noon on saturday it is fucking wild um yes. i've said wild too much today i'm going to try not to say it but it literally is like it, i'm somebody who is averse to crowds it's exhausting <laughs> yeah it, it just it's scary yeah still i i want this to be over so fucking bad yes i i uh, i miss even the bad parts of convention, I miss. Mm-hmm. You know, I want I want us to go to a hotel and not talk. Yep. Like I want to go sit on an uncomfortable pullout couch. Yeah. And play Switch after a long, emotionally exhausting day. <laughs> really badly. Yep. Uh, it just, I don't, I can't. Uh, even and it is somebody else's choice, right? Like when you know we say like, oh, we don't want to ask people to make a choice that we wouldn't make. Mm-hmm. Um, it is up to them. Yep. You know, we, we could be libertarian about it. Uh, the, my nature is 
if we did like a duck fast, in-person duck fast, and somebody got really sick, even if it was their choice, I don't have the soul that's going to be like, well, their choice. Yeah. You know, they did it. It's like, nah, I, I share some culpability for that, for presenting an attractive nuisance. Yeah. You it know? just it it, 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 it it like this this question happens to fall into an ethical uh sensitive spot for us yes yeah we don't want to i don't want to hurt anybody yeah um let's move into the lightning round let's do uh glucios uh says what is a weird or unusual game idea that you would like to try for waff uh, <gasps> i don't like I'm, i've long been like there's nothing off you know, off bounds mm. for off. Like the things that we don't do for that show are sometimes because we think the uh, feedback would be annoying. Yeah. Like we haven't done a world of Warcraft episode because that wouldn't make anybody happy. We don't want to do a kingdom hearts episode. I don't think that would make anybody happy. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing that is too weird of a game. I think that we could, yeah. you know, we could pull it all off. Like I like our Tetris episode a lot, for example, and that would be something that people would argue is not. Mm hmm off appropriate because it doesn't have a narrative right um uh, you know i i i want to at some point do like a pac-man overview episode like mm -hmm. looking at different pac-man variants a la the tetris episode i think that'd be real fun yeah a lot of this ends up being special topics uh kind of stuff uh but yeah nothing is off limits like i don't know ai dungeon would be pretty cool to check out um yeah. you know that's a, that's a I've, I've fucked around with that a lot yeah like it would be it would be hard to do Mm -hmm. But again, the other thing that we keep threatening to do and then not doing for a decade is is reintroduce short episodes. Yep. Out of the show, we kind of did that with Another World. Mm -hmm. uh, AI Dungeon would be a really short episode, but I still think it's interesting to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Agreed. Jamie writes, what game are you most looking forward to that's due for release by the end of 2023? Um, I don't keep up on due dates mm -hmm. and stuff. I'm real excited about Midnight Suns. Oh, yeah. Midnight uh, Suns looks good. Yeah, Marvel deck building XCOM <laughs> is a real Gary kill phrase. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for me. And uh, the Spider-Man team making a Wolverine game makes me really excited, but I have no idea when that's actually going to come out. Yeah, that's you know that's out when it's out. Um, I'm excited for Gloomwood. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. There we are. Uh, Scorn uh, is a horror game coming out uh, that I've been following for a while. That has a release date in October now um and uh slime rancher too i think that'll be fun so S slayers x terminus mandate revenge of the slayers <laughs> uh is gonna be fucking lit yeah the demo is really fun uh and i think that that is a secretly just wonderful idea like make a game that is not you know a lot of boomer shooters are the idea of like what a 14 year old boy in 1994 uh -huh. would think is cool but making that the text and leaning fully into it, I think is actually really genius. Yeah. Um, that's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. Very excited for that. Agreed. Uh, Maya uh, asked four important questions and I'll go through these one. We can answer them as they go. Yes. Or as I go, uh, which Pokemon do you want as a pet? Cool. I'm going to be kind of basic here. Eevee. Um, although okay. it could be pretty fucked up to be like, Oh, give me a, give me a match champ. I just want a dude. <laughs> give me I a just... roommate. <laughs> give me a roommate who can bench press me in my sleep. Yep. Uh, I think give me a, a, a match amp is a, 
uh, suicide by cop. Oh yeah, scenario. no, no, I, I ripped me in half. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to get smothered with a pillow, and then I don't know, turn he, into a Bowflex. He, he, I mean, he, it's basically, hey, can I have a can I have a, a house Goro? You know, just a Goro for the house. <laughs> every house in this neighborhood, two Mataros in every garage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would hold me up with one set of arms and then just pull, pummel me to death with the other. <laughs> That'd be it for you. Yep. Uh, I'm going to use Snorlax. Mm. Big sleepy boy who's real cuddly. Yeah. You get a, I mean, that's basically furniture at that point. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Yeah. Uh, which Pokemon do you want to cook and eat? Hitmonchan. Okay. Very, very good. I have, uh, yeah, Hitmonchan would probably be uh, pretty tasty. Uh, there. <laughs> no, you know, like long pig. Yeah, no, just it, it, ethically again, ethically, if I could, it'd be the, the closest I could get to eating human. Uh, They're all real sentient. I think maybe an unknown, because that might be like ooh. a mystery flavor thing. Oh, do you, yeah. Do you think it's like a mystery flavor, like uh, like Dum Dum Lollipop kind of deal? Maybe it could be all the Pokemons put together at the bottom of the bin. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't correspond to anything. So it's like, it would be the flavor out of space. Basically. Uh, they, uh, they all correspond with letters, right? So what if it, uh, what if each of them taste, taste like, yeah. I mean, so like, would it taste like kielbasa? What I'm imagining, what I'm imagining is they just taste like a food that is the first that corresponds with their letter. Yeah. Yeah. The, the real answer is that ice cream thing. Yes. That's basically food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then same two questions with D and D monsters. Cool. Which D and D monster you want as a pet? Uh, I'm, you know, it's hard not to think of it in terms of like usefulness, right? Let's assume mm-hmm. they're tame. Um, I, I think I would want a displacer beast. Like what if I just had a weird cat? Displacer beast is real good. I was going to say moon dog, mm. uh, for similar reasons. Yeah. Like a teleporting lawful good dog. Mm-hmm. That could be very useful. Um, and then which, uh, D and D monster do you want to eat? Man, that, that 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 is tough because, like, uh, you know, you've got the ones that are actual um, animals, right? Which like be, would probably be the least likely to kill you. Huh. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. Uh, red red dragon, red dragon. You think? Yeah, I bet you dragon meat is good. Okay, uh, and I bet you a red dragon would be uh, picante. Mm. You know, yeah, in a pleasant yeah. way. I'm a little bit more a fan of uh, some sour flavors. I think uh, I think a black dragon would be pretty good. Black dragon would be really, but maybe like that lactic acid. It might be just a yogurt dragon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You <Yeah>. know, <laughs> I mean that that's a good, that's a fine taste, like that kind of fermented. Yeah, but it's weird. You know, in, it's weird in meat. Yeah, that <laughs> uh, kind of thing. Oh man. Uh, uh, so yes, glucose, uh, writes, what is a game that you've played that you have almost nothing good to say about? Uh, that, that's tricky. Cause nothing good is pretty hard. No, even like paradise killer. That soundtrack is a bop. So yeah, I, I, I hate that fucking game, mm-hmm. but the, the, the soundtrack is good and parts of the world design were good mm-hmm. and fine. And yeah. some of the concepts and I hate that game. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't think of a game that I have nothing good to say about. Uh, at yeah. least one that's functional, right? I, I think that I probably uh, haven't played the games that I think there'd be nothing good to say about. I, yeah. I mean, I pl- so here, here's one, and it's going to sound like me just being me, and I'll, I don't care. Uh, I never, I didn't follow the series, obviously, but I did play a bunch of Kingdom Hearts 1. Okay. Uh, when it came out. Uh, I was a Final Fantasy head, and my uh, ex-wife 
uh, current ex-wife, uh, fiance at the time, was into it. And I played a bunch of it. And I don't think there's anything really fun about that. I think it's a pretty no. shitty ARPG attached to a lot of really annoying fluff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so nothing, nothing good for that to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, nothing. Nothing makes that question really difficult. Yeah. No, that's yeah. tricky. Uh, and final lightning round question. Who would win in a, in a fight, uh, Geralt or Rivia or a crop of little buff boys? So how much time um, does Geralt have to um, to prepare? That's a great question. I'm going to say uh, yes, but for every uh, minute he gets to repair, we get to goose the boys a little bit. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, also, it hinges if that crop includes Troll Boy. Okay, yeah, no, Troll Boy, is, it's, it's going to be Troll Boy. Uh, no, you're troll boys in there. It, it can't. Okay, so it's gonna be troll boy. Oh, Geralt on a troll, walk. Troll boy's in there. He's part of. Part yeah, of yeah. No, tro- Geralt in a walk. You get troll troll boy in there. He's gonna completely completely dissolve the team. He's gonna fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. I think it it just kind of depends on the crop. If if we're looking at a bu- little buff boys competition crop of like ten, mm-hmm. that's no different than like ten of those little kobolds that climb out climb out of the. Uh, yeah, you know the thing. Uh, depending on how how goose they are, I guess. Yeah. Um, the uh, I would still probably give it to Geralt due to the superpowers, mm-hmm. and because we goose him a little, old circus term. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, if they do a little buff draft, then maybe possibly, but yeah. If yeah. it was a, if it was a whole crop of Goliaths, <laughs> perhaps, maybe possibly, but that's uh, that technology is years away. Yes, it's got to go to Geralt. Uh, Cole, introduce us to our topic. Yeah. Uh, so Jonathan uh, wrote into us suggesting, hey, guys, I've been thinking lately about how much a lot of modern games could use some goddamn editing. A lot of AAA games, especially more cinematically leaning ones, ironically, seem stubbornly unwilling to do a freaking jump cut uh, when really all you're doing is going from point A to point B. Uh, and this leads to runtime bloat. Uh, This may be why the, quote, standard game runtime has ballooned from roughly eight hours to 20. Uh, But that could just be my tinfoil hat acting up. Uh, What do you guys think? Am I off base? Can you think of any games that actually utilize editing techniques to aid pacing? Are video games currently stuck in the walking down a hallway to completion phase? As always, they say nice stuff. Um, Yeah, are they currently in the 1970s invasion of the body snatchers? Um, We got to show every single action. Every Uh, step. Yeah. Um, And I would say we probably are just because there is a there is a real um, let's say I can't think of another word. There's a real bias toward verisimilitude. And anything that reminds you that uh, this is artifice, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's hard to think of games that in play utilize montage theory, right? I can think of two, and they're both indie. um, 30 Flights of Loving and Paratopic, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and I I still have not played Paratopic. I've got Mm -hmm. it on my Switch. want to. Uh, 30 Flights of Loving cool that it does that but it still feels like it doesn't tell a coherent story right yeah to me it's it's using montage theory without things that's joining up mm-hmm. i i understand that that game is is very popular with us like certain games critics i have never really quite gotten it mm-hmm. but it, it does technically montage yeah yeah um it's a yeah it, a lot of this stuff like just 
getting something out of the way so we don't end up talking about it the whole time. We talked about this before, but a lot of this stuff is load time. Yep. Based, um, they want to disguise load times. I think this is a mistake because as games get quicker, you're still going to squeeze through that passage or walk down that hallway mm-hmm. uh, as machines get quicker. But I think that's what's what's going on a lot of the time. And I think that probably contributes to the increased walking down hallways to completion feeling. Yeah. Uh, is just games being bigger and take, you know, more, uh, having more visual fidelity and taking longer to load. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and Jonathan points out, I think rightly that the more cinematic a game's presentation is the, the more it clangs when they, uh, you know, believe the boring parts in it's hard to like, look at something that feels like it incorporates that, that, uh, kind of empty space, you know, that, 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 that dead air. Uh, something um, like Shadow of the Colossus uh, or even like, um, you know, Grand Theft Auto to a certain degree where, you know, the incident in between uh, the cutscenes ends up being uh, part of the fun. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to look at that and say that is a particular failure to it. But like, I don't know, I got problems with, uh, you know, Max Payne 3. It's like it's really weird where they decide to take the control away from you and where they don't. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's a lot of artistry. Yeah. To that and a lot the decisions that are being made there are are like an under-examined decision yeah i think that the games do uh that when people are looking at video games they don't think about it yeah in in those terms but those are cuts that people can make um and the uh the thing that when it, in cinematic games the reason why it clings for so often for me is because it makes things not seem like movies um it's been something i've long said about uh, kojima and david cage yeah where like for two creators who love to ape the language of cinema they would make horrible fucking movies yes you know like uh david cage you know a movie where somebody fails to brush their teeth three times <laughs> before going out with their day or kojima where characters just sit there and tell each other what the metaphor is yeah over and over like they they're not they're ironically not very cinematic for it being the only thing they want in the world, mm-hmm. the only value they have. Um, yeah, it, it's a, a, there's an element to trigger, figuring out whether it's like Shadow of the Colossus or GTA, uh, you know, whether the walk back is fun yeah, or the walk there is fun. Like are the verses fun mm-hmm. to something? Are the verses meaningful? Yeah. You know, putting this in songwriting terms, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, you can have something that's just chorus, uh, mm. look, look at, uh, you know, this song is, or, uh, what is it? I got my mind set on you by George Harrison. <laughs> like you can do things that are all chorus. Uh, that's how, um, boy, uh, I was going to say hotline Miami, but hotline Miami definitely has verses, yeah. uh, to it, you know, but there, there's a, there are games that are basically all chorus, mm-hmm. um, through that. Uh, but it, it is much harder to do and just finding the, the degree, how much time you want to spend on each is, an underexamined bit of artfulness. Yeah. I think this is something that helps differentiate uh, games like um, uh, Supermassive Mix, uh, their particular flavor of the cinematic game from the David Cage likes, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. And even to like a certain degree, uh, like Life is Strange, even though I enjoy that series quite a bit, um, is that because those are so focused on being genre pieces, they can uh, do a very good job of following the cardinal rule which is cut in later than you want to and cut away sooner than you want to they're they're actually perfect at that that's like a a great example of that because they we don't watch the characters go to the library to do the seance right they under they trust the audience enough to be like we can just cut to the seance Mm -hmm. and you know 
there's yeah. some awkwardness because there are scenes I'm playing the cor- the quarry right now. So this is fresh in my mind. There are some scenes where it's like, Hey, just go explore this space. And mm-hmm. that ends up being like, even though it is the most interactive, it ends up being some of the least satisfying because I don't want to like have this person awkwardly walking around a storeroom at a, at a, you know, summer camp. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Click clicking on things, picking them up, yeah, turning them over and then putting them down. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over. It's all, this is also highly individualized. Yes. Uh, like, I mean, and that's a, that's a subjectivity soup coward, you know, weasel answer, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Like I know people who live for this shit. Yeah. Uh, who derive a lot of meaning from walking down the hallway. Uh, somebody who was on our, on our Slack, I don't want to name them, uh, but somebody you know, I'm fond of. Uh, very, f- like I say famously as if it was inside the Slack, famous for not running outside of dramatic situations and games. Okay. So just like if the character would walk, she would make them walk. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to me, that's wild. <laughs> I cannot imagine that level of immersion. And even on just uh, from a cinematic angle, mm-hmm. like they wouldn't show that, you yeah. know, uh, Harrier Dubois running from the hotel to the bookstore is something that would be cut in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the The action is at the bookstore. Yeah. Um, so they uh, they just wouldn't show it. And the compromise between that is letting you sprint yeah. to it. You know, it's it's what we're getting at when we talk about how town menus should be or town should be menus. Yeah. In games or uh, take a, a really good example of this, I think, is uh, Gabriel Knight. Yeah. How the travel just happens on a map. And then when you get there, you're there. Mm-hmm. That's the scene. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very close, not just to movies, but also tabletop gaming mm-hmm. in that respect. Yeah. It's um. I don't know. I just, I, I think that it's, you know, it is ultimately personal, but the, yeah, it just, it's this axis of, you know, how much are we apprising verisimilitude? Um, you know, which is, uh, there's, 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 there's a joke in community where somebody, you know, is just uh, attempting to make it into a montage, you know, with what they're doing. Um, and the, 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 the kind of more connected to reality person says, okay, remember what montages are. And he says, montages are movies apologizing for reality. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's like, I'm fine. I'm fine with media, um, apologizing for reality. I'm fine with media, um, uh, just jumping out and calling attention to its artifice. That is okay. Because to me, I just do not value um, I, I, I do not value picking the thing up and moving it around as neat as it was in the introduction to Indigo Prophecy slash Fahrenheit to uh, go around. Oh, that's even a bad example. Going around and cleaning the crime scene. Uh, like, yeah, you got to do the motions to like uh, uh, do the mop or whatever. Like that's very similitude. But even that determines what clues are left behind. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd have to go like later on. Luke is trying to relax around his apartment, you know. I don't yeah. just 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 all of that like little quotidian stuff. That's not you know, and just wouldn't make a good movie. It's weird. And I, I've said this before. Like I like the the artifice. Yeah. In video games, I think immersion as a be all end all goal for things is kind of obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, when people are like, "What could you? What if you could just you know, hey, uh, that thing you could just pick it up and it exists." Like there, there's a layer, there's a degree of that, but I don't want full. Yeah. Uh, version of that. I like that video games are video games. Yeah. Just like I like that movies are movies and they're not realistic. Like mm-hmm. part of the reason why I engage in art is to shift my thinking to this other set of rules. Yeah. Uh, that, that you can do. And that's part and parcel of the joy for me. 
it does not take anything away from me. It is not a constant uh, splinter, um, uh, a constant splinter in my skin that the edge that that the um, image on a movie um, has edges, right? Yes. Yeah, I prefer it. I I, I want that to be there. You know, um, a good example of uh, you know, we I brought this up earlier when talking about like kind of verses and choruses in terms of editing things. I really love it when these downtime moments are used to affect. Yes. And I think uh, a real old school principle of creating stuff that I, you know, there are a thousand exceptions, but I do generally ascribe to is that like something should have, should add, you know, to be there. Mm -hmm. So like you take uh, Hotline Miami, that is a a game mostly based on choruses, like big explosive bits of action. Mm -hmm. When you finish the music drains out and you walk past all the cartage, that is not a walk down the hallway to completion edit thing. Mm-hmm. You don't want to edit that out. That's incredibly no. important yes. to the feeling. They're doing something mm-hmm. with it. The The times where this feels bad is when I feel like they're not doing something with it or yeah. they're spending more than they're getting. The Lucas, you know, futzing around in his apartment until the, the meter fills up or whatever, they're spending more than they're getting. Yeah. It can be the story of Lucas that he wastes some time and kind of reflects and has an internal life during this section. They just fucked it up. Yep. You know, <laughs> he's bad at it. David Cage is very bad at it. So he <laughs> it makes it feel like tedious and endless, uh, you know, and just, uh, you know, silly. Mm-hmm. It makes it feel less real. Yeah. You know, uh, I've got no problem that every uh, dungeon in Skyrim, you know, happens to have a trap door near the end that takes you back towards the beginning. I got no problem that when you defeat a minor dungeon boss in Elden Ring, um, there's a little uh, blip that you can hit that'll warp you back to the entrance. You know, they teleport you out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or like, you know, we just did, we're doing Children of Morta. Like when you beat a boss, it teleports you back to the base. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a it, there are a lot of like little exceptions you can make to, to verisimilitude that I think, um, are much for the greater, like not, aren't even compromises. Mm-hmm. They're just for the greater good. Yes. For the greater um, good. For the greater good. <laughs> you know, uh, it's real weird. We're doing Castlevania two as well, which very pointedly doesn't give you a shortcut mm-hmm. back to the beginning, even when there are tons of places where they could. Yep. You know, uh, and I don't feel like, like, I like that game a lot. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's going to be a, a, an episode of us praising a game that has a lot of problems. Yes. Um, but the, uh, that doesn't add a whole lot mm-hmm. to the game. I think like that's yeah. something that if it were, if it took longer, if it were not an eight bit, you know, go to the right and whip stuff mm-hmm. game, that would be a real pain. Yeah. Like that would be a problem. So Yeah. I yeah. don't uh, and then other things you can do to kind of patch this shit uh, to add some razzle dazzle to your walking <laughs> down a hallway to completion can be a real problem as well. Yeah. Um, you know, again, just previews for, for next month's games and stuff. I hate uh, in Children of Morta, the monsters that come out of corpses. Yeah. Um, I feel like those are largely there to make backtracking uh, work a little bit better. Uh, you know, to kind of razzle dazzle up that walking down a hallway mm-hmm. thing that's not letting you skip. I think it's very subtractive. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, 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 the slow walking while somebody talks to you on the radio, you know, like we're going to slow you down. Like that is an attempt again, again, that is an attempt to cover up loading, you know, loading screens, but it is a, it, it, it creates 
more of a problem uh, than any other solution that they would have while still trying to, you know, make it seem very, very similitudinous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in, in general, I think that this isn't what we set out to say the, you know, talk about the topic, you know, talking about editing, but like in general, uh, verisimilitude is not, to me is not the, the highest artistic goal. Yeah. You go to for these things. Uh, I would much prefer, I think I wish games would be choosier in the language of cinema that they borrowed mm -hmm. and uh, montage or, you know, cutting to things like that as, as shown in other video games where they do that is a really great place to start. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, this art exists in a marketplace, so it is pretty hard not to also acknowledge that there is not a lot of incentive to make games shorter right now, you know, no. just either economically or just from a, uh, um, it's fucking wild that there's not when like everybody just has game pass mm -hmm. and is just getting their games for free and they still want them to be a thousand hours long. Yeah. How, what are you doing? <laughs> straw men yeah what are like, you doing straw men who pitch fits when a game is you know not 20 percent shorter like it should be god damn it yeah, <laughs> yeah. just uh, uh, it's been and yeah i mean that's all we we it's a whole other topic that we've definitely done yeah but, but like man and you may, you may be thinking after you uh, okay cole i what have i what have i cut 20 percent? and i give you that version of it are you still gonna say cut 20 percent off of that one that is already cut yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, very possibly yeah <laughs> you know th there are games where like it's hard to know what to to cut mm -hmm. you know uh because of quality but then it ends up being a thing where i want it to take the place over more entries kind of right so like we do bonfireside chat mm -hmm. elden rings an incredibly long game uh i love that game i think there are very few parts of it that are just like bummers yeah it doesn't have a like man they should have fucking cut this mm -hmm. section it doesn't have a lot of that yeah you know but if they cut it it would make the game better because it would stand to be a little bit shorter mm -hmm. uh and then just throw that in dlc or throw in a sequel or i could also just go without it yeah and i'd probably i wouldn't know what i was missing and it might make the overall experience a little bit better mm-hmm so kind of all over the place with that one, but I'll, I'll blame that on my, uh, adult brain. No, that's fine. That's yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks everybody. We appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you have, uh, we'll put out a call for responses for next month. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned, we're doing our roundup. If you want to hear the roundups, we're doing those quarterly. Uh, they're bonus episodes of this specific kind of the show, but without the uh, listener responses, mm -hmm. um, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash duckfeed TV. Yeah. Uh, let's get into listener responses to the games we've played. Yeah. Uh, starting off here with Zachary talking about the incredible Hulk and Zachary says for a game I've never played or even seen played this Hulk game has a strangely large place in my memory. Reading about it on forums and in magazines was my first introduction to the idea of a sandbox game where you could do anything. For some reason, to my little kid brain, this translated to me thinking I could use Hulk's ground slam repeatedly to dig a big hole to the other side of the world, which is obviously not how games, ground slams, or the Earth itself works. This reminds me... Geomodding. <laughs> exactly. This, re this reminds me of how disappointed I was when I played a demo for the original Red Faction after having yep. read, like, you can destroy everything. And then, like, no, no, it stops you from yeah. uh, using a rocket launcher to build a tunnel to the exit. And fi on you, you, fi. you can go through some walls. <laughs> Red Faction. Yeah. yeah. Man, that was... Uh, I'm happy that happened to me early, so I would not continue to believe such claims. 
I, I played that game to completion on the PS2. <laughs> oh God, uh, it's no good. It's it's a it's a bad game. Oh. Uh, people love the sequel too, which I haven't played. But my understanding is it just does a bunch of uh, open world stuff that people like now. So like uh, destructible buildings. And oh, shit. you're not talking about Earth Faction Two. You're talking about um, Gorilla. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. Gorilla's. I mean, I remember having fun with it. That said, it came out 13 years ago. So. Yeah, I'm very I'm very curious as to whether that was actually fun, you know, actually super good, or whether mm-hmm. that was just the first game that lets you do shit like that. It just had a uh, release on the Switch that, like, a couple of weeks ago, and by a couple of weeks ago, I mean probably firmly several months ago now. Um, it was on sale for like a dollar, and I picked it up. So uh, I wish I had seen that. Yeah, I probably would have. Yeah, because I I never played it. Yeah, uh, but I was curious about it. Um, Inedible Bulk, which is a very fun handle, uh, writes in saying, I have a lot of fun memories of the cows in Ultimate Destruction. For whatever reason, the cows are completely indestructible, making them a great weapon to use against tanks. The developers were clearly clearly aware of how funny it was that there's a cheat in the game to turn all of the missiles in the games uh, into flying, exploding cows. This, along with Pandemic Studios' use of cows, industrial humans, and the saboteur. In that game, cows turn into cuts of meat when killed. Uh, there's a lot of great open-world cow, cow humor that has sadly been forgotten. Cows were a thing for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, also see, uh, you know, the creator is a monster and everything, but Earthworm Jim. Yep. And they're, they're cow stuff. Cows, uh, the cow level in Diablo. Yes, there is no cow level. The cheat code in uh, Warcraft 3. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, boy, destroy all humans. I don't, I don't just go into the PS2 disappointment corridor on these <laughs> yeah. responses. Also, but yeah, that game. also a disappointment. Like, what a great yeah. premise. And they just didn't have the missions to back it up. You know, you know what's fucking weird? What? Uh, we, we talked about how the last thing on anyone's bingo card was uh, Stubbs the Zombie Rubble Without a Pulse. Okay. Coming back. And then it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stubbs the Zombie Rubble Without a Pulse, the original version. Uh, has a bug that makes it so you can't complete it. Fun. Uh, and I remember, like, I played it uh, and then, like, sent in a support ticket and all that stuff. Didn't work. So it was, like, looking through my Steam library, and I was like, oh, they probably will just give me the new version or there's probably not the old version anymore. But no, you can still get the old version that you can't complete. You can still buy it? And, it, oh, wow. Yeah, like, it still has a store page. And, I, I mean, I didn't go through trying to buy it because I already have it. But right. so I don't know if it would have stopped you. Or something, uh-huh. but it still has a store page, which yeah. is not usually the case for things that are delisted. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Does the, I think about that in the destroy all humans hole. Yeah. Uh, as just kind of like, what a good idea that just, boy, they fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty disappointed with destroy all humans. Yeah. That game sucks. And they just kept making sequels. Yep. You know, butt probe, the joke. Yeah. Blah. Incredibly funny for an idea for an alien to, uh, to stick a, a thing into a butt. I know, right? That's uh, you know, that's the. I mean, it's the best thing an alien can do. No, it's uh, <sighs> it's, it's it's real up there. <laughs> you know, I just remember the uh, the kids in the hall sketch where it's the two aliens are like, "If you do you ever think that like we're reaching the limits of what we can learn <laughs> from seeking things?" I mean, the only thing we really learn is one out of every ten humans enjoy it. <laughs> uh, and then they just show Scott Thompson, and he just goes, "Ah." <laughs> 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 it's very good oh, oh. Wow. <laughs> every 10 humans enjoys that That's good. Yeah, but they keep searching <laughs> um, yeah. oh. uh, moving on to Terra Enigma responses Thomas says 
I have quote unquote fond memories of rubbing my thumb raw on the metal post hole of my Gravis Gamepad Pro while playing this game. Aside from the pain, there are a few things I remember. Reading about Tenji Suzo uh, in a gaming magazine during lunch in middle school, and someone saying it sounded like the name was ripped off from Final Fantasy III's Zozo Town. Teenagers are dumb. Uh, after I finally got to play it, I recall looking up Lhasa and being heartbroken. Contrary to the promise of never changing in the game, it had very much changed after being annexed by China and the subsequent exile of the Dalai Lama. China is dumb. Hmm. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, no, I, 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 I kind of don't, don't know what they're talking about. I with the uh, Lhasa stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I know so little about the Dalai Lama. Right. I know that he's not a llama <laughs> and that that's, that's really pretty close to the limits yeah. of my dolly. And I, I'm not proud of this ignorance. I know I'm making a joke of it, but it's just, I know other stuff instead. I just don't know very much about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I know that he's one of those people who's praised, but if you look at stuff that he's said, it ends up uh, kind of being, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let, we can, we can just, None of our business. We just don't know enough about it. Yeah. I, it's not the position of watch out for fireballs that China is dumb. Uh, <laughs> like every country, I feel like it's probably complicated. It's probably complicated and usually breaks down to the government's dumb and the people are good. Yeah. Yeah. Pe people are good in yeah. kind of a general sense. Yeah. Uh, the Texas annexation sucks. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people, good people get stranded. Yeah. That happens. Uh, or secession, you mean. <laughs> I was going to say. What did I say? You, you said annexation. Oh, Texas too. <laughs> let's re-annex. Let's re-annex Texas. Yeah, just do just a show of dominance. It's a, it's a little a little play that we like to do. You know, I pretend to secede. You pretend to annex me. Yeah. You know, uh, how else can can uh, Ted Cruz come? Yeah, uh, I mean, Corner Rooney. And it's embarrassing himself online. Uh, that that yeah. seems to be what what does it. Uh, yeah. So if you're making a joke, Thomas, I'm sorry if I didn't get it. <laughs> Apologies. Yeah. Uh, other people are less ignorant about this than we are. Yes. Uh, Nervous. Nervous Bibby writes, Hey, guys. Um, I revisited Terranigma to cover Quintet's oeuvre for Kurt Kalana's big JRPG book. Uh, this is a particularly interesting one to reassess since you can almost trace the lineage of the genre. Quintet were formed by the creators of East 1 and 2, uh, the games which largely codified the action RPG, after, the, after they left Falcom due to exploitative working conditions. Uh, one can observe how their vision evolved from East's bump combat to Soul Blazer's simple melee to Terranigma's more varied verbs. Quintet definitely weren't afraid to try new things, uh, but they also never fully broke free of their roots. Terranigma, at uh, Terranigma can, at times, feel like a culmination of East. Uh, both games have useless spells, an attractive menu that's difficult to use, bosses which take 1 HP damage if you're a single level below a threshold, and a me mediocre script punctuated by heartfelt scenes. Instead of addressing these issues, Terranigma just added volume. Uh, I feel like this genre ended up taking the wrong lessons away, which is why East games are now 80 to 100 plus hours when they used to be 4 to 8. I still think Terranigma is top of its genre, uh, but bring back the 8-hour action RPG. Uh, then they add a PS. Cole, uh, you might get something out of Illusion of Gaia. Uh, the scenario was written by sci-fi author, author Mariko o uh, Ohara, 
Um, and it's got some great solemn moments. Wouldn't recommend it for WAF, but it's relatively bite-sized and moves at a pace. Yeah, I'll slap it yeah. onto my uh, little retro handheld thing. Yeah, great, uh, great feedback. Yep, good, good response. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, I've never caught into East uh, because I played the early ones a lot, where they do have the bump combat, and I hate yeah. bump combat. Yeah. Um, and then I played the side-scrolling one for the Super Nintendo, uh, and then Oath and Felgana came out, and I picked that up on Steam, and it was a billion hours, and I was like, this, this sucks. Yeah. Uh, the the idea of an eighty-hour action rpg sounds horrible to me mm-hmm. uh, that is a genre that lives and dies in the eight to twelve hour threshold yes i think yeah um yeah yeah if, if, if you if you surpass 15 you're uh, uh you got some splaining to do yeah uh, i love uh seeing kurt Collada in the wild mm-hmm. i was looking up um castlevania 2 stuff on games facts yep uh game facts because i wanted to uh one, it's like I'd played this a billion times. I don't remember everything. I don't want to just wander. But two, I also wanted to see uh, when you go to a really old Nintendo game like that mm-hmm. uh, on GameFAQs, you can end up running into uh, a lot of it's a good picture of what people thought yeah. during the first kind of retro wave yeah. of stuff. And there's a fact written by both uh, Kurt Collada mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, noted Chud. Uh, what's his head? No, Col- uh, Colin Moriarty. Yeah, I noticed that when I was oh. looking on there, too. Yeah, it's very yeah. surprising. It doesn't have an embarrassing uh, tribute to nine you know, eleven. Yeah, surprisingly, uh, it doesn't have. I mean, if it did, it would be like he'd, he'd be like a, a a dead dead site or whatever it's called, the dead zone. Um, <laughs> like then the law blood on his hands. Um, but yeah, just real neat to see uh, Kurt Collada's like early roots mm-hmm. as yeah. uh, somebody who I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah, of that guy. Oh uh, yeah, I I I enjoy that. I, I enjoy that as well. Hmm. Uh, Doug says, I always had a strong attachment to the series, Actraiser and Soul Blazer, and to a lesser extent, Illusion of Gaia. Like most, I had never heard of Terranigma until long after its release and first experienced it via emulation. It was an incredible feeling, like finding out one of your favorite bands had a secret, secret album unearthed by an archaeological accident. I devoured Terranigma, and the soundtrack always gives me good vibes whenever it happens to show up on my playlist. I think one of the things I like most about it is its tone. The concept of a devastated world revitalized through your efforts is the same concept that had been explored in those other games, but here the setting is far closer to Earth. The reveal that you have been serving the forces of evil was a great twist on the formula from those earlier games. I can't imagine a modern uh, throwback trying to recreate something like this, but I would love to see the attempt. These games occupy a very specific corner of the 16-bit era, but one that never fails to work on me. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of our complaints in the episode kind of uh, maybe boiled down a little bit to uh, it. We wish that the game was more about that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I really think nervous got it. Yeah. You know, basically like it, it's a, a mediocre script punctuated by heartfelt scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the heartfelt scenes are very surprising. It's got all kinds of goat moments. <laughs> uh, and, but this script is actually pretty mediocre. Yeah. Um. You know, Uh. Yeah, it, I, I quintet's great, mm-hmm. like, and I've had that soundtrack on. You know, that's so that that is featured in my uh, uh, just kind of going around doing stuff like a little guy uh, kind of music. Yeah, this is going to make me sound. This is blasphemy. Uh, but a lot of times when we do Super Nintendo games for the show, mm-hmm. I will up the speed. Like once I've when I'm not in a critical area, mm-hmm. like if I'm just kind of grinding or if I'm just going through a dungeon. Yeah. So the soundtracks always sound goofy to me. Yeah. Uh, and we keep playing these games with like amazing soundtracks, um, you know, so like 
Chrono Trigger has a great soundtrack. I listened to the whole thing at double speed though, because fuck playing that game at the speed it comes with. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Terra Enigma, where like I like the soundtrack a lot. I gave it a spin on its own just to kind of evaluate it, mm-hmm. but I don't have the strong attachment memories because I played most of it at an increased speed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I'm playing a game like that, I listen to a podcast while I'm playing it too. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, God, God love whoever made emulators that had uh, just a button that could speed stuff up. I map uh, on Open Emu here on on Mac. I just I just map it to the right stick of my. Um, yes. I map fast forward and rewind to the right stick on my uh, Ape Do controller here. So like, mm-hmm. if I'm just walking and doing stuff, fast forward. Uh, if I fuck up, instead of using a uh, a save a save state to go back, just kind of like, no, I'm just gonna undo that. Yeah, yeah, great feeling. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Zane writes. Terra Enigma is a game I loved playing through the first time, but which I always found difficult to pick back up. There's a disparity between how linear the game feels in the main plot versus how easy it is to miss some quest markers for the literal world building. Uh, it made a walkthrough guide feel necessary, uh, both feel both necessary and condescending. Despite that, there are three uh, three things that still uh, highlight this game for me. One, the sense of bringing the world back to life. Uh, you act like the hands of God. Uh, you act like the hands of a God creating the land, then life, then humanity. It feels both more personal and more grand than most RPG save the world plots. Two, the the idiosyncrasies of the leveling system, uh, where one level can make a huge difference in the damage you deal. Grinding, when necessary, was fast and easy uh, and made you feel immediately more powerful. And three, uh, the feel of the combat in general and the run and jump uh, attack combo in particular. Uh, down with the swords, I want more spear fighters. Uh, let's see here. Looking forward to the episode. Very curious to hear how the conversation about Columbus goes. I put it at 30% that one of you does a Columbo impression. I no, don't think we did. We did not. I was too politics-brained, and it was too funny just to call out how goofy that depiction of Columbus was. So, yeah. Yeah, Columbus. I'm not saying there's <laughs> nothing there, uh, you know. Uh, but I, I just say it's you know I'm too mad at Columbus. Yeah, that's the thing. For that. uh, out of those uh, those things, I think those are all benefits, except for number two. Yeah. Um, that kind of like uh, leveling, you know, as mentioned earlier as well, but nervous. Where like, if you're one level too low, you just do scratch damage. Shit, that's been on my mind lately because um, Dragon's Dogma two. Mm-hmm. got announced and people have been talking about dragon's dogma one again and that game has that problem mm-hmm. uh you know it's it's a math thing like when you actually look at the nuts and bolts of how it calculates attack and defense uh the equations do that yeah and i generally think that sucks mm-hmm. uh, i love a level making a big difference i do not want it to feel like scratch damage if you're one level below yeah uh that always feels like it is acquiescing way too much to the dragon quest like just climb a mountain yeah. You know, if you put in the time, you'll win philosophy of video games that I don't particularly like. It's unsatisfying to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it kind of ruins skill. Like a big thing that happens in Dragon's Dogma, this isn't a Dragon's Dogma episode, but just is that you will run into something. It's hard, but you think you can fight it because it has a predictable moveset. Mm-hmm. And it just takes a million years because yeah. you're not doing enough damage. You learn how to dodge it perfectly, and then you get a really unsatisfying reward because they're not giving you anything for jumping the curve. Yeah. Ends up making a game where like you're only supposed to do things when and where it tells you to. Mm-hmm. And that is really contrary to an open world. Yeah. Like we we have to dragon's dogma at some point because I I've a couple of people have asked me about this. I think it might be the worst game I like. Yeah. 
the game the game has a lot of problems like i like it it does some things really really amazingly but it has a lot of fucking problems yeah um and now that we're in like elden ring it could potentially be on wolf like mm-hmm. we, we had had that in the back pocket as a potential bonfire side chat thing but yeah spoken for mm-hmm. spoken for for the next while anyway quite a while yeah yeah uh moving on to another world uh out of this world responses drew says that feeling of being alone and confused in an entirely unrecognizable alien world has never been captured so succinctly by another piece of media. I'm talking about this podcast, of course, hearing Gary and Cole hammer home the influence of this wildly successful, important game that I've literally never heard of, uh, even in passing, is one of the most bizarre experiences of my adult life. A more gullible person may assume that, maybe, this is just a gap in their gaming knowledge, but not me. I recognize that this brazen attempt to Mandela affect a game into existence is just the next step in the network-wide duckfeed villain arc, which began when Cole guessed it on Guppy. Nice try, gentlemen, but you won't fool me. This is this is funny uh, because you know obviously Drew's doing a bit here, uh, but like when we did the uh, fake episode specifically about Atomic uh, for your second book, Gary, uh, mm-hmm. we had people write in asking like, "Hey, I can't find this game anywhere." It's very cute. <laughs> I, I feel very good about that. <laughs> uh, I had this exact same experience with ZZT. Oh when, yeah, when Frog Fractions Two came out, everyone just like, "Oh yeah, ZZT." It's just obviously it's ZZT. <laughs> And then I just started ZZ, seeing ZZT stuff everywhere, uh-huh. and I had never heard of it. Yep. Uh, yeah, it really blew me away. Like, I was this, just like, oh, this very influential thing. Mm-hmm. You yeah. obviously made it up. Yeah. yeah, but this is a thing that happens in a bunch of media, too. Finding out that, like, something you like is influenced by this, you know, predecessor that you you didn't hear about but was wildly influential. You know, thing that happens in music, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what does Zane say? Zane says, you're seven years old. It's the 1990s. You head to the rental place on Friday, on a Friday night, uh, for their 333 deal. Three games for three nights for $3. You've never heard of Out of This World, but you decide to try it out. You boot it up and skip the intro like a cool kid. Walking to the right, you are immediately killed by a leech. You try again. Leech after leech. You just can't figure it out. You hand the controller to your older brother, who somehow manages to get past them. He is promptly killed by a lion. On following attempts, he cannot get past the leech. Uh, You take the game out. It's time for another glorious weekend of Super Mario RPG instead. Uh, But the game and the leeches occupy a small portion of your brain forever. Thanks Thanks for providing context for a game that I knew I would never play, uh, but had always wondered about. Yeah, I, I think that is probably a pretty common yeah. experience. Uh, it, for uh, folk. it runs you real hard into a wall right at the start. Yeah, I don't I don't know how as a kid I was able to into it mm-hmm. stuff like I didn't I didn't have a guide for this or anything. I just played it as a kid mm-hmm. and just brute forced my way past it. Like it just made sense to me. Like when Charlie sits down at piano. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where he's like, oh, yeah, keyboard just always made sense to me. Like mm-hmm. there's no there's no explanation for it. I just intuited it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I just do not remember tons of friction mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. It's kind the, of the uh, same about like with the original Prince of Persia for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I, maybe at this time I had played Prince of Persia, mm-hmm. uh, on the Sega CD. Ooh. Weirdly enough is the, the main system I played through most of Prince of Persia on. Mm-hmm. So that might be where I had the, uh, the experience. Yeah. I played it. I, I played it on the max at the library. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sleepy smile says, Hey, Woff boys. Another World has the distinction of being my first memorable Abandonware game. Shout out to Home of the Underdogs. What, what? And all, 
I got a home of the underdogs. And also my first quote, end quote, art game, where the mechanics weren't really inherently satisfying and weren't meant to be. They were meant to create an experience. I think we can kind of blame David Cage's whole over, 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 over. Why did I, forget, what? I, I said earlier, it's over. Over. God, I, I was certain in my mind, I went through every possible vowel <laughs> combination except for ooh. Easy. It's like that giant bomb clip where nobody guesses four. <laughs> I, I was on fast forward just going like A, I, O, E, O. <laughs> You were just you were just Doctor Strange in it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, just, I just went through every possible world except for the one. Um, David Cage's old oeuvre on Another World, but it's easy to trace the line from it to Team Ico's games and Ding Ding Ding, the Soul series, which are more mechanically rich but carry forward the lonely atmosphere and use of mechanical punishment uh, to set a tone. It's a limited experience on its own, but replaying it in 2022 has some warm blanket appeal for me. And also, if you can, ch- and also you can chug it in like half an hour. Curious if you guys ever played Eric Chahi's follow-up Heart of Darkness, a very smartly chosen and not at all SEO poison title. Uh, it's slightly more mechanically robust, feels like a cinematic platformer crossed with Metal Slug, and has some of the most grimdark death animations for a child I've ever seen in a video game. Like worth pulling up a YouTube compilation for. Peace. Um, and you know, I, I never played that. We talked about it during that episode, obviously, because it's a, the, you know, the closest follow-up, but, um, yeah, I, I didn't put it, uh, put two and two together. Another world's horrifying death sequences mixed with, uh, yeah, here's a kid. Here's a kid. You mm-hmm. play us drawn in a cartoon style. Yeah. Like not, not just drawn more realistically, but doesn't have that abstraction, but also is drawn like a kid friendly cartoon. Weird. Yeah, you know, like if uh, Willie Beamish <laughs> bit it oh, that's uh, over and over. Uh, I don't like Heart of the Alien. Uh, or not Heart. I don't like Heart of the Alien, but I also <laughs> don't like Heart of Darkness. Yeah. Um, I, I tried to, tried to get into it, but mm-hmm. I, I've never never been able to get to it. Part of it because it's, it's too long. Like we talked about that action RPG sweet spot. Yeah. Um, the cinematic platformer sweet spot is weirdly like 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, you know, like going too much, like two hours is the absolute fucking maximum on one of these. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, too long. Too long. Cut it. Cut. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Moving on to vampire responses. Vampire. Uh, Jack, who uh, executive produced that episode, says, I think the game really represents something more to me than its component parts, all of which are serviceable, but rarely stellar. I continue to be a player generally searching for good boy treats in my psychographic. Uh, but when there is not a dramatic amount of delineation between, oh, I'll just drain this one jerk that they present to me at the start of the game and I am a total monster. Yes. It really underscores that it's important to take gaming moral liberties a little bit more easily. Uh, if it all adds up to an at what cost declaration from the moral arbiter voice of the developer either way, and in addition, no presence of a narrative ending that is more particularly satisfying, to my judgment anyway, uh, if I'm following my generally preset psychographic, why not enjoy a much more mechanically satisfying playthrough uh, and nod at the good boy points that might have been on a YouTube video? Um, I feel confident opining that the game is fairly objectively less satisfying, not to mention much more difficult and tedious in its mechanics if I am chasing the high of gamer dev moral praise. Uh, That sort of bizarre meta commentary makes this juice worth the squeeze alone to me. It's a you mentioned this. We mentioned the episode, the one of the tragic flaws of Vampire doing that. 
that contrast mm-hmm. and asking you to make that decision is that it doesn't it doesn't primarily get more challenging in any kind of interesting way yeah like it, it doesn't have the mechanical chops to to be a soul level one run mm-hmm. you know in dark souls basically like it it ends up being just more tedium yeah you know, in a, in a game and I played it pretty liberal with my chomping and it still has a lot of tedious parts. Yes. Like, uh, to me, it just makes me think of, uh, this kind of idea that, you know, games have flirted with a lot and some games more successfully than others, uh, requires a lot more skill than maybe it seems. Yeah. You know, if you're going to make me choose between two things, you have to have the chops to make both of them good. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very least, like engaging in their own way. Yeah. Uh, for an example of something that does that really well, Dishonored, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love how Dishonored does it. Yeah. Um, I, I had fun doing a not like a low chaos run of Dishonored. I had mm-hmm. more fun doing a high chaos run. Yeah. But it's not like the low chaos version doesn't yeah. have fun. Doing it's, it. it's not like the low chaos version is just a, um, you know, worse, less fun version of the high chaos run. They're different things. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, moving on to e- uh, another response. Eli says, uh, hey, guys, I was really excited to see you were all recovering this game because I just love playing a vampire and this game does really cool stuff with it. I play Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition every week. I love how both it and the game focus on and attempt to mechanicalize the role of the vampire as parasites that present a danger to their community, even if they're on the good, even if they're the good guy. You can be the coolest anarch with the goodest politics in Vampire the Masquerade. But you're always one botched feeding, uh, instance of blackmail from the prince, or opportunity for a political gain from, directly or indirectly, hurting an innocent or a loved one. Likewise, in order to gain power and achieve his goals, Dr. Reed has to feed on the members of the communities he is also trying to help, which in turn goes on to hurt the community. Which is why, in this attempt to finally beat the game, I decided to play on hard, as that would allow for the greatest need to get that sweet, sweet, innocent blood. And yeah, that was a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like Uh, that. I I thought that's a that's a good way of looking at uh, mechanicalizing vampire stuff. Yes, yeah, Uh, and it is it is uh, the appeal uh, Mm -hmm. that this has that they both share. Yes, like it is the cool thing that vampires can do Mm -hmm. in fiction. God, I need to finish reading the Vampire uh, Fifth Edition uh, source book. That's a fucking beautiful book, and it's just so dense that I put Uh, it down. Yeah, yeah, and vampires are cool vampires are cool yeah you'll enjoy uh just being around some vampires yeah for a little while love vampire concepts god mm. <laughs> uh gordon writes i play vampire uh as if it were a computer game adaptation of arsenic and old lace floating around town and occasionally deciding well we all know there's no happy ending for this person and giving them a quick mercy kill for my sweet, sweet step boost. The writing in the game has its highs and lows, but when it's at its highs, it does do a pretty good job of giving me plenty of good reasons in either direction to give a person an orthodontic euthanasia or not. Uh, highlight for me was when Jonathan, after the entire game, uh, after spending the entire game getting tricked, misled, and otherwise clowned on by virtually every vampire in London, finally learns a single iota of cunning and tells Marshall he thinks the old man hears him well enough and refuses uh, to lean down into a chomping range. Uh, I would have uh, patted that. I could have patted that dimwit right on the head. Mm-hmm. I. <laughs> 
I, I love that moment. We, uh-huh. did, we talked about it in the episode, and it was kind of the end of a very long episode, so we uh-huh. didn't get all the the shrift uh-huh. it needed. Um, I like that they uh, that they have him do it. I would have really liked if it was a choice. Oh yeah, yeah, like a bad ending where you just become food <laughs> for the legendary vampire knight. Yeah, after that much game and after solving that dumb little like, cutscene puzzle uh-huh. to get the secret door and stuff, <laughs> yeah. would have been very funny to me. Agreed. Hmm. Uh, but it is a good moment. Yeah. Uh, Naveen uh, says, I'm writing this ahead of the vampire episode, but it seems based on comments you guys have made that's a game you like, despite it having some major flaws. I'm in the same boat with that game where the social components of role-playing a doctor carried me through some very middling combat and rough world navigation. Basically, because it falls into the Bioware school of RPG dialogue and moral choices, I can forgive a whole lot. I felt the same playing Cyberpunk 2077 recently, where despite the myriad of issues and certain insensitive representations of marginalized people, I enjoyed it because it let me make choices that affect the world, or at least my relationship with that world. My question is, what are components of a game, if done well, that make you more inclined to forgive major flaws? Or is it more situational for you, uh, and each game hits differently? Uh each game hits differently, but I think kind of a little bit more mechanical competency goes a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, like if those choices and that social stuff ultimately ends up being a set of shoots and ladders that will ultimately dump me into combat or dump me into, you know, navigation exploration, it really helps if that thing they're going to dump me into is fun to engage with on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I. For me, uh, doing a, like I'm doing a cool thing yeah, goes a long way. Like I want my guy to be doing something that's not boring. Yes. Um, you know, like, Oh, this is an interesting situation. Mm-hmm. I have to go check in on this person who's blackmailing, uh, you know, the, my, our sponsor, uh, who's doing it for this morally complicated reason. And I have to kind of follow these clues and they have this whole immigrant backstory and stuff like that is mm-hmm. a cool thing to do. Yes. Even if at the end of the day, you're just clicking, mm-hmm. you know, clicking and walking and fighting and biting. Yeah. Sucking and fucking. <laughs> Toads, loads, and codes. <laughs> new podcast from Duck Feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if, if that's what's going on, I, I like that yeah. quite a bit. Uh, movement stuff doesn't do as much for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I would like to return all more. Yeah. Fun to move around. I just didn't think I feel like I was doing anything cool. Yeah. And I was just fighting arenas full of glowy things. Agreed. Yeah. I really thought I would go back to that and I haven't. No, yeah, no. I I, I uninstalled it to make room to make yep. room for the Maybe, quarry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not just not interested in that that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh close us out. Oh yes, this is me. Uh Sam writes. Uh, This is my first time through Vampire, and what impressed me most was how interconnected the world felt. Taking a life felt like it impacted other people who knew the victim, uh, and seeing a domino effect cause chaos because I ate one jerk uh, led to fun little interludes. My personal favorite was eating a member of the local gang, having his last words be, who will take care of my son? And me immediately solving this problem by crossing the road and eating the son too. <laughs> I'll take care of him. <laughs> <laughs> for, for varying definitions of take care of. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, unfortunately, I thought Vampire undermined itself by wagging its finger if you engage with this system, which isn't a bad idea in itself. The problem is that if you don't plan on eating people, then, then the game becomes way less fun. The bad combat is harder because you're underleveled. You have no incentive to find all a character's secrets, so you speed through the dialogue and you don't get away with an, uh, and you don't get to enjoy watching the repercussions of your actions. Instead, uh, between every rest, you go around throwing fatigue medicines at everyone and then crack on with the story. Uh, if there were more direct, non-cool consequences beyond five minutes at the end, it would feel balanced. But as it is, it feels like if Shadow of, the Mordor, uh, Shadow of Mordor ended with abrupt punishment uh, for players if they'd engaged with the Nemesis system. Yeah, uh, well said. Yeah, it, it doesn't, it does not land it. I think it would, you know, a, a lot of it comes down to numbers. A lot of it, uh, you know, like just, uh, man, make it so I can chop more than four people to get the, to get the good ending, you know, like yeah. that, the, the moralizing that it does would feel a lot more satisfying if it was just a little bit less strict. A little looser. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a thing too, uh, where your everyone's mileage is going to vary for unforeseen consequences. Yeah. You know, like that's something I seek out in games. I like it if I, I think something's fine and that turns out I don't know everything and, and it's bad. Yeah. You know, that that's a, that's very appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the currency is going to spend different with everybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for mm-hmm. writing in. If you have things to say about July's games, uh, hit us up at duckfeed.tv slash contact. Yeah. July's games are uh, Children of Morta. Castlevania 2 and the premium episode is going to be about control. Yeah, it's weirdly vibe month. Yeah, uh, between another world and Castlevania 2, I haven't started playing control yet, but it's a mm-hmm. lot of like things that get by on vibe yeah. or thinking on vibe quite a bit. Mhm. Yeah. Uh if you have anything to say about the next month's games, August, which are Final Fantasy 12, The Zodiac Age and Wario Land 4, uh please write in by August 15th. Yep. Deadline is always the 15th of each month. Go to uh, duckfeed.tv slash contact, click the WAF button, um, and respond there if and you can. Uh, if you have thoughts about multiple games, please separate them into multiple responses. That uh, makes our job possible. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this, if you want to hear more of it, you can do so by being a patron. You get bonus shows, bonus episodes. Uh, you'll get bonus versions of this exact show mm-hmm. uh, at $5 a month. So go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. We really appreciate everybody who has has joined us and supported us. This is a dream job. Mm -hmm. Uh, We really appreciate it. And a reminder, if you are a, uh, you know, a non-white straight dude, you got a project uh, that you'd like to get some more eyes on, uh, hit us up at gary at duckfeed.tv and uh, we'll we'll, uh, throw throw some attention your way. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of other stuff and no, that's all we got right now. Yeah, we'll see you next month with uh, Children of Morta. Yes, we will. Umbasa. Umbasa. Umbasa.